What is up, guys? And hey, welcome back to Gnome. And if this is your first time with us, man, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for joining in. If you don't know about Known, hey, we're a podcast where we sit down and we pursue authenticity. We dispel the highlight reel mentality and we give people the opportunity to speak about the battles and the burdens that they've been facing in their lives and that they have faced in the past and also what they're learning from those things. And so, hey, this week, it's going to be a blessing to you because we sat down with David Marvin. David is the Young Adults Director at Watermark Community Church, where he teaches thousands of young adults every single week, and their mission is to change the world through the lives of young adults, and they're accomplishing that. And so after downloads and after listens, man, they're hitting tens of thousands of young adults every single Tuesday night, and it's absolutely insane. It's a movement that needs to be seen, and I hope that you'll tune in and listen to some of the wisdom that David has. But before we get rolling, guys, let's shout out to our sponsor. That's Cody Coffee Company. Uh, you'll get 25% off at checkout if you use the code KNOWN. That's K-N-O-W-N, 25% off of your new favorite coffee. We're so thankful for them. But hey, guys, tune in, man. You're really going to enjoy this. Me and David talked a little bit about reaching the young adult generation, what that looks like, how he helps to champion the people and champion their passions for a purpose, and also just anxiety is that's kind of a key issue that this generation is facing. And so, hey, listen up, dive in. Enough of my voice. David's the guy with the real wisdom. So let's get rolling. Dude, come on, man. Turn up the headphones. <laughs> hey, what's up, guys? I am in the studio today. Well, actually, in the war room today at Watermark Church with none other than David Marvin. That's right. The war room where we prepare for war. <laughs> I don't know who named it that, and there's no title on that. But yes, we're in the war room, dude. How you Sweet. doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Got a setup here. You, you uh, took care of us. Yeah, man. Only the best for David, right? Oh. Hey, I think we need to address something. You're not that short. I, I think <laughs> I was you. watching videos. Thank you. And I was like, is this guy like five, six? Thank you. Um, man. Because JP, so JP well, walked in the room a few real. weeks ago. JP walked in a few weeks ago and I was like, oh my God. So I knew he was six, seven, but then he walked in and I was like, wow. He's a mammoth. He's a Nephilim. He's <laughs> six foot seven people. And he doesn't play sports or never did. He didn't? Well, I, well ne- hey, I hope you listen to this. And uh, JP, Jonathan McCluda who's now the senior pastor of Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco. If you don't have a church, go to Harris Creek. It's awesome if you're in Waco. Anyways, he, uh, no, man, he's an artist. He's like, oh. didn't, didn't sports were not his thing and, and yeah. uh, got to love him. But he's yeah. a big old boy. I get that so many times. People go, people have actually like either tweeted in or messaged in or just, uh, the funniest one was a, a bet my fiance and I have. <laughs> On how tall you are, and I am six foot. People, that's normal in America. <laughs> six foot seven is not. So when I'm on the stage, it's next to a six foot seven person. People are like, "Oh man, that guy's like Danny DeVito," <laughs> and it is not the case. It's funny how often I get that. It's funny. You're actually six foot's pretty tall, actually. Yeah, it's. I like, mean, by all all sense, Texas people are tall in Texas. Yeah, I have noticed that. And a watermark. And just pastors. So like, Here, I met, met Matt Chandler, and then I met Todd, and yeah. then I met JP. I was like, what is no. It's like average of 6'6". Six, six. It's like a basketball team was getting put together to work at Watermark. <laughs> no, there's no staff in the country that has more people over six foot four. I'm convinced. It's like, and then Watermark in Dallas, Texas, in case you uh, are not familiar with Watermark. But anyways. <laughs> well, sweet man. Hey, thanks so much for sitting down with us. No, you're busy. You guys are prepping for Awaken right now. So that's, we, are. we were just saying, you said that's a beast. 
Um, we'll talk about that. We'll get to that towards the end. Yeah. Uh, but for David, David, for people who don't know who you are, a little bit about your story. Yeah. Um, can you talk about what you do for a living, who you are, kind of where you came from, your background, all that stuff? Totally. So I grew up in Houston, Texas, was actually born in Wichita, Kansas, for any Kansanites out there, and uh, grew up primarily was raised by a single mother who loved the Lord, trusted Christ in an early age, 12 years old in Houston, Woodridge Baptist Church, and um, and was uh, raised, and in, in, there's not a morning I can remember not waking up seeing my mom reading the Bible, and um, and so at the same time, probably for me, what Christianity and faith looked like was just it was a component of life, not all of life, and it was something that was kind of a part of of um, just the whole package that if you want to, you know, be it's just something you do and it, you should do it, and it's good, and in life you should strive to be a good person and succeed in different things. So a lot of the things that I probably wrestled with in a, at a younger age were all around like either identity or trying to achieve and and um, be someone who was known for, for what they did, someone who, who appeared to have it all together. And it really wasn't until I went to college, Texas A&M, went there to throw javelin randomly. Um, and I say random because it's, it's like the one sport that nobody in the world does. It's a great sport if you want to play D1 sports. Yeah, I, I pole vaulted, so. You know I'm what I'm talking you. about. It's even you. more random than javelin because every <laughs> school or most high schools pole vault. But I always joke like, man, if you want to have a son or a daughter that – that plays D1 sports, just give them a javelin because there's <laughs> like six people on the planet that do it. But anyway, so I went there and really I, I say uh, God used that because it was there that um, God got a hold of my heart in a, in a real and fresh way and saw people living out their faith and it wasn't a component of life. It wasn't just something they did on the weekends or on Sunday or on a Wednesday night. It was all of life and it was meant to be that way. And the church wasn't a building, it was a people, it's who we are and that life is found in Jesus and Jesus said in John 11, hey, I am life, I'm not a component of it. And so began to really shake a lot of the categories that I had. My plan was to go to a, a program called Teach for America, or there's a program called Teach for America that applied for, got accepted, and uh, that teaches. Have you heard of Teach for America? I've heard of it. I'm not familiar with yeah, it. Yeah, so it's like inner city schools. Okay, no, no, no. Yeah, one of my buddies is looking into that right now. Going great program. Okay. And so was uh, planning on going there. Was going to go to law school, and. Um, or had been accepted to that program, which you basically go to inner city schools, teach for two years, and then was planning to go to law school. Got called by Watermark, which is the church that I've been at for the last 10 years, and I had been working in a summer camp called Canacuck okay. in uh, Branson, Missouri, right outside of Branson, Missouri. And uh, <coughs> Which is pretty, that's pretty big camp down here, right? Oh, it's like, huge. I've, heard of, I've never heard of it till this year. Yeah, it's huge. It's all over this area. And uh, so anyways, was work. I worked all through summer or all four summers during college at Canacuck and the CEO was friends with our senior pastor and and so they connected and and I guess he recommended you should give David uh, a call and I got a phone call from somebody here on the staff saying will you come do uh, it was kind of the, watermark as a residency program right now it was like the residency before the residency so it was pitched as hey we'll we'll pay you uh, very little but we'll pay you to come sit here and be discipled for a couple years and then play utility player on some of our ministries. So I ended up coming and, um, and turned down teach for America. And just, I had like a, a, a shake that I couldn't get rid of from watermark. And, and, uh, so came was here that year was not planning on doing anything, anything other than just getting ready maybe for the LSAT and, and, um, enrolled to do a master's program at Dallas theological seminary. And, uh, and just God can that door open to come on full time 
worked in student ministries for two years, joined the porch, which is a young adult ministry on Tuesday nights and have been doing that for the last eight years. So people always say, when did you get a call to ministry? Especially when I go to other contexts or I'm around an older generation. And, um, I always joke that, man, I, I, if they called, they didn't leave a voicemail. <laughs> so I, I don't know, but, um, it just felt like God opened a door and opened a door and, and um, there was never a moment where he said, hey, this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And, and really, that feels for me like it fits a little bit more in what we see in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Like the call, Paul, I don't know that he ever felt called. I think he would say that all Christians, the moment you become a Christian, are called to every day wake up and say, how do I make Jesus as famous possible, as, famous as possible? And uh, if there's a better way for me to figure out to do that tomorrow, then I should move in the direction of doing that. But So that's a little bit of my journey. So the porch is Tuesday nights. Um, it's, it's grown from the first Tuesday that I got to join JP, who was leading it and led it for 12 years here on staff. It was at, I think 750 people, uh, or somewhere around there. What year was that? Oh man. 2010. Okay. Yeah. Into 2010. And then, um, today there's, uh, um, depending on the week, a few thousand people here in Dallas, 500 in Fort Worth, 500 in Houston, couple hundred in El Paso, there's 15 other locations around the country, and, and it's just been crazy, man, that God has really, in spite of us, just been at work in a, in a really fun, powerful way. Hmm. So, Yeah, let's just talk, let's run with that. What What is it about the porch that you think connects so well with people? Um, so we got invited, it seems like everyone, it's just these young adults going all over Dallas, like, hey, have you been to the porch? You know, <laughs> like, hey, come to the porch. Uh, so my wife and I got invited, we came, obviously there's something uh, we were already walking with God, but there was still something that was like, I, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this yeah. with a room, a huge room, huge auditorium full of what you guys auditorium seats, like 4,000 or something like uh, that. Yeah. 3,700. Yeah. Just packed out with young adults worshiping their faces off with Shane and Shane up there. And we were yeah. like, so funny story, actually, I probably shouldn't tell this now that I've met the Shanes, but um, <laughs> didn't know what the Shanes looked like. Yeah. And so I'm very, this is my cynical heart very critical of worship leaders because I've ran sound my whole life. And so oh, no way. I have a, have a cynical heart when it comes to how sound is run and uh, how people lead worship and stuff. And so I came into the first porch, very cynical as always classic Quinn. Um, and then I didn't know what the Shanes looked like. And I, I can't remember what song they were singing. Oh, is that, I ran out of that grave. That yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And Shane was just, of course, was just killing it. Like I was like, this guy is phenomenal. Who is this? And then about a month later, realized like, oh, that's Shane and that's Shane. That's Shane and Shane. Oh my gosh, I love it, dude. They do not look like your average uh, uh, worship leaders. Like Shane Everett, who is the one with the goatee. If anyone knows who the Shanes are, um, always jokes that there's guys like Phil Wickham who look hip and cool. And then there's guys like Shane and Shane <laughs> and Shane's like, and I think we encourage people in different ways. He's like, you know, that guy looks like my plumber up there on stage and, and they could not be more of the real deal. They've been such a gift. So they joined the porch, man, what was it? 2014, maybe 2013. Um, really after. Mm-hmm. And it was funny as our audience, because so the porch is twenties uh, and thirties. It's the average age is right around 24, 25. And, um, about half of the audience is members at Watermark, or they would call Watermark their home. About 25% are members of other churches, and 25% are non-believers or not connected. And uh, and there's a, a decent chunk of, of just non-believers. So they don't know who Shane and Shane is. There's lots of people at the porch every week that they're like, you guys, this has happened more than one occasion. <laughs> Often it happens where people will come down front after and they're like, you guys are really good. You you should think about doing this like for a living. <laughs> 
Like, has anyone ever told you that before? And they're like, yeah, we have this this thing where we travel all over the nation. So anyways, they've they've been a gift. And to answer your question about what it is at the porch, you know, I I think um, I think a few things. Uh, it is one of those just act of God moments where God really is working in spite of us. I, I think our team believes that. I believe that where it just doesn't make sense why when I go to Houston to visit the porch, Houston, there's 500 people showing up in a room that doesn't look and feel like watermark. It's just very different. And the message is like, we work hard at them. We try to make them as excellent as possible, but they're just not that good. Like it's clearly God drawing people to be a part of a part of something. And I think young adults are responding to uh, someone telling them the truth from God's word. I think they've been um, had things watered down their entire life and somebody who's willing to actually say like here is what God says and if you live by it there's life if you don't there's death let's stop fooling ourselves and then call them to follow Jesus and then I, I think the relevance is probably the thing I hear more than anything else mm-hmm. it's just relevant to my life stage it's relevant I've never heard people both in the words that they use and in the topics that you know you guys cover I've never heard some teaching from a stage that's more relevant so I think that's some of the uh the reasons that God connect and then just truly just the spirit of God can, uh, I mean, if, if anything else you see that he can use anybody who <laughs> has, we're just, we're just trying to figure it out and, and God is at work. So it's been, it's been a really, really fun. Hmm. That's awesome. So I think one of the more interesting things, <clears throat> Watermark is investing resource, energy, funding, money. Mm. They're putting some of their best personnel with you and JP. JP's moved on, but and the Shanes in to a generation that the society saying doesn't matter yeah. essentially. Um, you guys push back pretty hard on that, yeah. that I've actually heard you guys say nearly every large movement in the world in the history of the world was done on the totally. backs of young adults. Yeah. Um, can you speak to that? I think that's one empowering for people who are our age and yeah. uh, in our demographic and generation. Yeah. And two, I think just some people need to hear that. Like we're not, I, I think JP says next is now kind of thing. Mm. Um, I'm like it's not they're not the next generation if you don't invest in them now you already lost them yep um can you speak to that a little bit i yeah. think that's good yeah i think tragically too many churches um the biggest problem and a lot of the church or one of the biggest problems in the church in america is that they're they're growing old they're dying and by nature of of the fact that if you're growing older and your congregation is getting older or not getting younger would be another way of saying it if you're not getting younger you're dying and um and i think that this generation has been called um, you know, lost or they're not, they're leaving God and they don't want to have anything to do with it. And that's probably true. And uh, that is true statistically across the board. But um, a lot of that we have found is just because they're not hearing topics that are relevant to them. They don't feel like they're being called to anything great. Like young adults specifically, they're just, it, churches become kind of a game for too many places. And um, specifically around the revolution thing, one thing was, did you and JP talk about this? No, we didn't. No? We're just every, like you said, every major revolution in history that history has recorded has had at its epicenter the young adult. You go back to the American Revolution and you got young, uh, with the exception really of like Benjamin Franklin, who I think was in his 50s or 60s, all these other dudes that signed onto the Declaration of Independence and um, really carried the torch were all young adults. What happened in Egypt a few, uh, was it like five years ago now? Where there was a significant revolution to what's happening in Venezuela. They all have at their epicenter the young adult. The social media revolution has had at its epicenter the young adult. And so it's this age, this time in your life where you have more resources generally that you can deploy. You have more discretionary 
ability to deploy because you're not feeding, you know, several kids. You're not having to use your time every evening to devote to that. You've got uh, the whole culture around you. Every marketing group is trying to target you. And um, everyone is going after you. And the church, tragically, has not said, we're going to go after them. We're going to resource them. We're going to deploy them. We're going to leverage the gifts of these people who want to deploy those gifts for something bigger than themselves. And uh, so we're seeing something really unique happen. And, um, and, and the young adults we have are just, they're grabbing onto this vision of, man, I can be a part of changing the world by changing the world of individuals around us. We want to see every young adult in Dallas, every young adult in our world really reach for Christ. But specifically at the Dallas location, every young adult in the city reach for him. And um, as it relates to the idea of revival, one thing that we've, we've shared is that in our nation, in America's history, there's been four great awakenings. There's the first one that happened by George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, where we saw significant numbers of people turning back to God, both of which who were young adults, by the way. Then you fast forward the clock, you got Lyman Beecher and uh, D.L. Moody being a part of, of a, uh, or three, I'm sorry, of another great awakening in the 1860s. And then you fast forward the clock, you have a young Billy Graham who recently passed away in the 40s and 50s in his young adult years, uh, using them to turn other people back to God, or God using, once again, young adults to see great revivals take place in our country over and over and over again. And so the interesting thing is that last, all of those have been spread out at about 60 years apiece, with the last one ending about 60 years ago. Hmm. And so we think that the country is as historically primed to turn back to God as ever before, and uh, there's some really fun stuff that I think God is at work preparing people's heart for that they haven't given up on God. They may have just experienced a church that is unlike the church that we see in the New Testament, alive, full of grace and truth, where people are, are honest about where they're struggling or their their brokenness. And um, and the church can be a place where, man, it's a hospital for humanity to come to and experiencing healing. So anyways, that's that's been kind of the... Uh, the mantra that we'll put in front of young adults that this is the time, this is a unique season that God has put in your life. It, you have a stage, or I'm sorry, a um, shelf life. That you have a shelf life, man. There's going to come a time where I can't preach at the porch anymore. I'll be too old and irrelevant and weird, <laughs> and you know, wearing Dockers and and uh, and same with our young adults. Like, hey, this is a I don't know how many more Tuesdays you have. What Tuesdays are gathering, but this is another one that God has given you, and you have a shelf life. There comes a time where all of us transition out of it. How are you going to use it? Are you going to do what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 where he said, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Unlike what most people think, which is, hey, God's something I'll get serious about someday, that the wisest person who ever lived closes out his book of wisdom, Ecclesiastes, saying the final words, remember your creator in the days when you were young, before you're too old, before your health starts to fail, before life changes and you're no longer as strong and able to be effective for God, remember him. Use your life and invest these years and every year, but particularly these years, in something that's eternal and something that will last. So anyways, now I'm just now I'm just going, dude. No, roll with it, man. So let's let's just jump on that. What what is something that you're encouraged by by the younger generation? I think we get a lot of flack. We get uh, media usually focuses on the negatives of yeah. our generation and the young adult generation. What are you encouraged by that you're seeing right now that you have seen in the past and yeah. that uh, you're kind of looking to? Uh, I think uh, a few things. You know, it's hard to it's hard to categorize a generation based on my 
uh, interactions here in Dallas, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so I'll, uh, I'll share everything I'm about to share just through the lens of my own experience here. Sometimes I say that because sometimes like I read Barna, you familiar with Barna research It's like a Christian research Institute or even like CNN mm-hmm. or news outlets. And a lot of the trends that they identify are just like not the trends that I feel like we see here. If I went off of what they saw and they're, cause they're in kind of their own echo chamber and they're basing it on their experience and their lens. So I wouldn't categorize everything that I'm encouraged by, but I will say my lens from what I've seen is um, this generation is passionate. And if they are passionate about it, they will go all in every, uh, you know, post on social media, every graphic that we do. uh, There's so many things that our volunteers own. They give their time to, they're gifted. They're working for Pepsi and they're making graphic art all day long. And then they'll stay up late at night making graphics or making videos one of the most watched videographers in the whole country is on our our volunteer video team who uses his extra hours in addition to his full-time job to make excellent work to make jesus more famous because they're passionate about it if they're uh passionate about something they're going to give themselves all in in a way that i just don't see a lot from older generations some of that may be life stage but they are uh, they're willing to like man they're going to carry the mantle and uh and go full tilt on on uh, using their gifts for God if they believe in something. Uh, what else am I encouraged about? Man, I think that they're serious about God in a way. Or there's a lot of people that are young adults that are serious about God in a way that um, I don't know if it has always been the case. You know, God always preserves a remnant. But even when I talk to older generations, they will marvel at um, that there's thousands of young adults that are saving themselves for marriage that want to follow God's way, that, um, that are um, devoted to serving the city that they're in. They're going to use their time, talents, and treasures to make Jesus more famous and really be all in with it. That, that church is not just kind of a Sunday. It's a part of our culture. They believe, man, if God's word is true, I'm going to run in all after it. So I think there's a seriousness and a return to God's word. Like Unlike a lot of people would say, man, if you want to attract people, attract people then you need to... Um, you need to water down truth. Don't cover hard topics. And I think this generation is starving for hard topics. They're like, somebody tell me the truth. I've been called a you know most valuable player despite being the worst person on the team, and everybody gets a trophy my entire life. And for the very first time, um, I'll walk in, and, and somebody's preaching the truth at me, and I'm starving for it. And so uh, what we see is like calling people to follow God's word, even around the hard topics, is not hurting us. It's helping us. It's refining the church at some level, and it offends people, and people get upset around the hot-button issues that you would expect. But, um, but yeah, I think that they are they are more committed to God's Word, or they're committed to God's Word, or a lot of them are, in a really refreshing and encouraging way. So, hmm. Do you think there's an eagerness to learn? That's one of the things that I've noticed of mm-hmm. just kind of the people around me. Um, we, we have more knowledge than we've ever had our fingertips. You know, yeah. this, what's the saying of... Uh, the mistakes we make are never for lack of knowledge. Yeah. But um, I think it ties in well with what you're saying about how like we, 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 we're starved for truth because we have so much knowledge that we have mm-hmm. to wade through. Like, will someone just tell me what the truth actually is? Yeah. That's what I've appreciated, I think, most about the porch is that it's somewhere I can go that I know is going to point to true, ner- true north. Yeah. Um, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think a lot of that's on the back of Todd, your guys' lead, lead pastor, totally. who's just like, Man, this is what's true, and I'm going to say it no matter what. You know, shame. Yeah. we were we were talking earlier this or a few weeks ago about how Todd can just punch in the face and you feel loved. Totally. Um, but I think <laughs> so. What is it that you've seen? Like, are you guys seeing? 
I don't know how to word this. Are you guys is 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 the narrative that's being placed on young adults is that consistent with what you guys are actually seeing by the people who are actually attaching to this truth yeah. by the people who are actually trying to walk out in this? Yeah. Um, like what narrative? The narrative that uh, that we're lazy that we uh, we don't. I think there's. I think there's a narrative that goes around, um, which is true. I think for a portion of our generation, a portion sure. of the demographic. Um, I think it's always a loud minority that labels the whole generation. Totally. But kind of the narrative of laziness, the narrative of we're so passion driven that we never actually commit to anything because your passions are always changing. Yep. Um, when you see people actually take hold of that truth and then utilize the gifts that our generation has for truth and not just for the narrative that's being placed on them. Yep. Have you guys seen something that's like, dang, this generation can be a force. We just have to kind of wrangle it. Totally. No, that's exactly it. I think uh, I think the passion stuff like that really. There's some study that that was done that showed the um, increase of the word passion, of follow your passion, dramatically spiked. I think in the 1980s, and so our generation has grown up hearing that, which has some serious shadow uh, shadow side to it. And that you don't want to follow your passions; you want to follow Jesus, and then use passions, gifts, circumstances to make him more famous. But uh, but I think that. A positive side of that is that, man, when you get passionate about it, when this generation gets passionate, they're all in. The commitment stuff, um, we will shepherd hard amongst our, you know, we got a couple hundred volunteers that help put the porch on, and we will shepherd that issue if we see somebody that has uh, either the inability to keep commitments. And and um, so there is maybe a more flakiness to this generation, but uh, to your point, I think that the ones that we're seeing that go all in are breaking a lot of the narratives of mm-hmm. culture. And... Um, and so it's interesting times, man. It's like no other time I, I feel like in recent history, maybe it's always felt like this, but our generation is just um, experiencing such rapid change. There's never been, and everybody probably says this, or it's always been true, but it feels like there's never been a greater opportunity and a greater need for the church to rise up, to teach the truth, to give a place for young adults, to deploy their gifts, to walk with Jesus, to give get healthy examples or be given healthy examples of what it looks like to follow them in marriage and parenting and um, and to find connection with other people. Like it's like the loneliest generation or the loneliest time that um, ironically it seems like people have had when you study surveys, even go back to like the 50s. People are so lonely today despite being so connected with so many people. So um, yeah, I think we are seeing some of those trends break and, and I hope only more and more and more. And, and there's still enough undergirding. Like I... I I've tried to think on an illustration that would work for this, but it's almost like the um, Christian underbelly or the Christian undertones, some of the Christian moral foundation that formed our nation and shaped it, and though we've really drifted from that uh, at a society level, it's almost like the kindling is enough. There's still enough of a remnant in, inside of the conscience of people, or a lot of people almost. So I know that sounds really medi- uh, or potentially really confusing, but it's almost like there's enough um, enough presumptions and expectations on people like, oh, yeah, hey, I do know that there's something wrong with me just uh, smoking whatever I want to smoke, sleeping with whoever I want to sleep. There's something inside of me that does like uh, want to know God and want to experience my purpose and want to serve others. And so there's enough kindling almost there that whenever you attach a gospel, preaching, teaching group of people to that, it, it sparks fire and um, people are, are almost like I always talk about how um, 
Oh, I won't even go to that illustration, but there's enough there that gets you close enough to uh, to really, if, if God's word drops the veil, then uh, then they're hungry for truth, and I want to give myself to this. I was made for it. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it seems that way across our generation that people are uniquely wanting to hear somebody teach them the truth. So hmm. that's it, dude. No, absolutely. So what, on the flip side of the coin, with all the time you spend around young adults, I'm sure you spend a lot of time, Not it's not just Tuesday, you're discipling them throughout the week and yeah. spending time with people. Um, what are the common insecurities that you're seeing arise? I know for myself, a lot of the insecurities that I end up finding are from cultural truths that I bought into that weren't actually biblical truths. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the people that I've discipled, that's kind of their story too of the follow your heart. JP and I talked extensively about that. Yeah. Um, but what are some of the the insecurities that you guys are seeing surface at the porch, the issues that just keep coming up with this generation? Yeah. Um, what yeah. would those be? Uh, you know, I think you can find your identity in just the wrong things. You find it in how much you make. Um, you find it in how many followers you have on Instagram. You find it in uh, a relationship, in a dating relationship. I think there's been such bad examples of dating relationship, no-fault divorce. Like, like marriage and love has just fractured in society and uh, given people really toxic ways of, of relating to the opposite sex. And, um, and so I think uh, insecurities around, am I dating? Am I going to get married? Um, this season of singleness, I'm getting too old. I um, don't like where I work. My, um, my families, a lot of people come from really broken. You know, 50% of people, myself included, come from a, uh, a broken home where the father and the mother weren't there. And then I think all the, all the other stuff, like body image, how I look, what people think about me. Um, this, this group, I mean, everybody, but I, I always joke that young adults is like working with junior high kids, only no braces. <laughs> and, uh, that it is like, we're all just insecure. And, um, it's only through Christ that we can really battle that insecurity and embrace that my identity is not defined by how much I make, how I look, how many followers I have, what people think about me. And, uh, but that in my own life, I know that that is something that like, I need to constantly battle with truth and it's not a one-time fix it's a constant thing like this is who god says that i am i'm going to walk in that with a confidence that comes from him so i think probably a lot of the insecurities that mark every generation but those would be some in particular mm-hmm. that mark this one i think i heard you and jp say um that you guys saw a shift a few years ago where the most attended um sermon series were dating and then it started to shift towards anxiety um is totally. that is that still true yeah, in every uh, survey that we do of like, hey, cover this issue. Man, it's so fascinating. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, the number one uh, desired topic to cover is anxiety hmm. over and over and over. The number one issue, like, hey, this is the thing that I'm battling. Sometimes it's anxiety about dating. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like sometimes there's some clear overlap or I'm anxious I'm not going to get a spouse. But um, yeah, like like a clear front runner is anxiety. And uh, it is interesting that we're the most anxious generation or we live at the most anxious time where there's never been a better day to live in America than today. And yet people are more anxious than ever before. Social media probably plays some role in that. We're so, like you said earlier, we're so connected. We have all the information. We know when there's a plane crash. Mm -hmm. We know when everything, like we have more to worry about and concern ourselves with. And and so, man, one of the biggest encouragements is sometimes you just got to turn it off. And live through the lens of your own experience, not go searching and seeking out. There's so much just to work yourself up about if you uh, if you follow or let social media just determine like, oh man, have you heard about? So, um, but yeah, man, anxiety has been. We've done we've covered that topic a lot. 
medication. It's like one of the most medicated, and I don't want to derail us by going on that, but but it's one of the more medicated. And medication is not a bad thing, but when it's the only thing or it's your um, first resort, first line of defense, it's probably a problem. Mm-hmm. And um, so, hmm. yeah. So what's your you're sitting down with someone who struggles with anxiety? What's kind of obviously they're situational and just contextual things, but yeah. Um, do you have kind of a roadmap you try to help people through? Um, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think, um, I think Jesus's teaching in Matthew chapter six was so, it was like mind blowing for me and specifically around his, his, um, uh, teaching of, uh, God's kingdom and, um, just surrendering your will uh, to God's will that to seek first his kingdom and, what I'll prioritize or what I'll walk through. And the reason it was mind blowing for me was just, I'd always heard that verse and always thought it was like, Oh man, just read your Bible. Hey, don't worry about tomorrow, but seek first his kingdom. Just go on a mission trip. And, and it's like, man, I'm so anxious though. That doesn't really help me. I'm worried (laughs) I'm going to die. And you just want me to go. That feels so unhelpful. And then in looking at that text and studying and break it down, the word seek is prioritize. It's prioritize first God's kingdom, God's agenda. The same thing for a kingdom would be his reign, his rule, his agenda for your life. Prioritize, put at the very top of the agenda, God's kingdom. The very highest priority is God's will for my life, whatever that is. So as God's will sovereignly unfolds in front of me, I'm going to embrace it, and I'm going to choose to accept it, and I'm going to choose to trust you, God. I I mean, the options before me are, hey, as God's will unfolds in my life, and I, I've talked about it before, how we had a, a daughter who was diagnosed, we thought, with what was going to be a terminal, life-ending uh, thing where I really walked through this season of, of trusting, like, man, God, hey, I can't understand why you would allow that to happen. But if that's your will, your will be done. Your kingdom come, and I'm going to choose to trust you. And I didn't every time hit that right, but it was in the moments that I really embraced that. God, I do not want that to happen. I do not want our daughter to lose her life. But, um, man, if that's your will, if that's how it's going to happen, if that's your kingdom's agenda unfolding in my life, I'm going to choose to trust you. What other choice do I have? I, I, I've said before, like, we, um, we talk about how, man, I struggle with control, which is such a funny thing because it's like saying I struggle with laser or x-ray vision. <laughs> like, it's like, dude, you don't, you don't, no one has control. You don't have any control. You struggle with something that you do not have. God has always had control. So you can either, and I can either have no control and trust God and have peace or no control and anxiety. But having control is not on the table. It's not an option for me. And so I, when I just, in studying those verses, that was just such a, a helpful thing to me to know, like, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's the same words that he used 20 verses earlier in Matthew chapter 6, where he said, this is how you should pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life, God, and I'm going to trust you. It's it's really what Jesus modeled in the garden in Mark 13 or 14, where he said, God, hey, take this cup. I don't want to die, but not my will. Your will be done, and I, I'm going to choose to trust you. So whatever you're walking through in anxiety... I'll generally try to walk somebody through um, a couple of things. One, helping them see, like, what are you really anxious about? I think sometimes we get anxious about, like, a surface-level thing, and there's, like, 18 things behind that that even just drilling down, I get, I'm worried about. Man, I'm worried I'm going to lose my job. Why are you lo- worried you're going to lose your job? Well, I don't think I'm going to be able to pay rent. What happens if you can't pay rent? I may have to move back in with family or with a friend. What happens if you move back in with family or friend? People may think I'm a failure. Okay, great. 
That's, that's what you're really worried about. You're worried of people thinking you're a failure. Let's talk about that. Are you going to be a failure? Does, does living with a family or with a friend for a season, does that equal failure in your life? And so just talking through that, it's really what Jesus did earlier in Matthew chapter 6 where he said, hey, look at the birds of the air. And they don't eat or they don't um, you know, stow away in barns and, and um, store up grain, yet God feeds them, won't he feed you? Isn't life more than food? Isn't life a bigger thing? In that same scenario I just gave with the job and being worried ultimately what people think, isn't life more than what people think about you? And is that really what determines your value is, hey, whether or not I've succeeded enough to move out of the house? So anyways, I'll walk through that stuff and then walk through at the end of the day. We don't have control over the events of our life. So I'm forced to decide, am I going to choose to trust you, God, or to worry? Because things are not always going to go how I want them to go. And so in that moment, I can go, God, I'm, I can either choose to worry and have anxiety about it, or I can choose to trust you. God, this is not how I wanted things to go. This is not the way that I, I planned, but if that's your will, I'm going to choose to trust you. And that's not always easy. It was certainly wasn't easy for me, but it's in the moments that I, I do that that I really do experience a peace hmm. that, man, God, you, you're sovereign, and what other choice do I have? I can just sit here and freak out and worry about it, or I can just say, God, you're sovereign. You know that we don't want our baby girl to die, but I'm going to choose to trust you. And if, if that's your will, I'm not going to thwart the will of God. And I can't, I won't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't want that to be the case. But I'm going to tell myself and choose to myself, I'm going to trust you. And even saying and speaking those words out loud, sometimes there's just power in speaking the truth and rehearsing that over helps my heart believe it. So hmm. I don't know if that's helpful or if it was confusing or not, but those are some of the things that I, I've seen be most helpful in my own life and with other people. Yeah. And because, um, dude, ministry, it can be anxiety provoking yeah <laughs> and there's nothing else you can do other than like um man I'm, god i'm gonna cling to you i'm gonna trust you if this is what you want for my life i'm gonna trust you and um seek to do well and work hard and do everything i can you know to uh to be faithful but at the end of the day it when things begin to go in a direction that man this is not how i wanted things to go or saw things going i'm gonna choose to trust you god and in those moments it's like peace like paul said in philippians chapter four begins to blanket over my heart and mind so that's awesome i think i heard you actually share a quote that was something along the lines of it's illogical for christians to struggle with worry being that we'll trust god with our eternity but not our tuesday yeah. you know kind of thing totally dude that's that, john owen uh, I, I ripped it off an old puritan but it's so true yeah that that convicted me a lot i think so diving into that kind of you saying talking about how ministry itself can be anxiety ridden and you guys you're not free of insecurity. You're yeah. not free of anxiety. You're not free of any of those things. Totally. Um, what are some of the battles that you've had to go through or may still be currently going through kind of maybe as a pastor, as a father, as a husband? Yeah. Um, if you're willing to kind of dive into some totally, of that about the stuff that you face because pastors aren't perfect, even though some people believe that's the truth. You know? Totally, dude. I would say um, from a like preaching, teaching standpoint, there's, there's uh, if you want to die to insecurity, teach people often. <laughs> Uh, or just because I don't think you can last if you just listen to people like everyone, every message that I've ever given, somebody didn't like, somebody was offended, somebody thought somebody was rude. And, and honestly, not all, you know, the old saying hurt people, hurt people. And so the response sometimes is like, yeah, just very, if I listened to the opinions of, of everyone, I would have either a, a hyper inflated view of myself from all your fans. Like if you listen to your fans, you're going to be misled. If you listen to, your um the the critics, critics yeah. or foes 
you're gonna have uh you're gonna hate yourself if you listen to your fans you're just gonna overly self-love yourself and so having valuable critics is, is a really helpful thing side note but point being um i think one of the beauties of preaching is that man you really will weed out some of the approval man it's still easy for me to walk up on stage and want to be liked more than than want to love people enough to really present them the truth and that's a battle that i felt every single time of a man i want to be liked and have to continually put that to death and um i I think insecurities around um financial provision with family and trusting god or anxieties around around hey um god you know are we going to be able to afford college as though that's God's greatest desire for our children, you know. <laughs> you're you're going to be a lawyer, right? You're going to be rolling in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I think that's that's like a that's a real life um, battle of wondering, man, God, I'm going to choose to just trust you if this is what you have for us financially. Um, especially the older you get, man, when the bank account and the zeros on the end of people's paychecks only get bigger and bigger and bigger. When you're young, you're first out of college, it's like, man, everyone's making barely anything. And then the older you get, ministry is not like. Um, a lot of the friends that I have that do either commercial real estate or, you know, business or law or any of that stuff. So, uh, I think, uh, I think battles around your identity being found and how much you make, which is just a constant thing to just put to death for me, a constant battle. I have to just put that to death. Like how ridiculous is that? How, how non-eternal is that? Hmm. And, um, and I need people in my life candidly to like point those things out. Cause I don't know if this is your experience when I get stuck in that loop with that lie, I need somebody to be like, you know, that's a lie, right? You're yeah. believing a lie, and um, and there's just something helpful with my own community group when they're helping point that out. Um, and yeah, I think anxiety is about kids, their health. Um, like something happened when we walked through our daughter that I'm still like still navigating in the waters of my own heart and soul, where something like broke of. Just that was such a hard time. So our daughter, who ended up being totally healthy, she's fine today. When we, when she was ten weeks old, we were told that there was like a ninety-eight percent chance or ninety-nine percent chance she had this this um, syndrome that if she had it, she would die. Ninety-nine uh, percent chance she would die, and if she was in the one percent, that she would have severe complications for the rest of her life, immediate heart surgery, and um, and that we we didn't know we didn't know the answer until she was born. Like they were like really. Other than doing some pretty invasive, dangerous tests, we can't find out until she's born if she makes it um, along that way. So every day was a just chance where God was growing our faith and our trust and our prayer life. And that was a hard season, man. Like that, mm. something broke in my heart in that time that I'm still, and that was just about a year ago. She's nine months old. That I'm still trying to figure out um, where it, like, I'm, I'm still, even as we think about, uh, you know, three kids there's a part of me that's like, I don't know that I can handle going through that again. And that's messed up and broken and not trusting God. But I think that's an anxiety that, that I can, I can feel that I'm still like, that's real. That's real. And today, um, that's like a recent thing, just navigating through my own heart and soul of, um, just being honest enough to, man, God, I don't, I don't know that I trust you. And I'm afraid that's going to happen again or something even worse is going to happen. And, um, and just how, and those are lies that I need people to come alongside, help me see, help me identify. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say those would be mm. some of the ones that quickest, most quick. And then, and then in ministry, there's such a numbers game. Yeah. Like your success is defined by how many people attend and, um, and how many people get saved and which you don't have any control over. And it's, it can be easy to 
to uh, identify yourself. I think pastors can be some of the most insecure people because I, I'm defined by how many people attend my gathering or how many people show up, how many people download, and just stuff that if you if you make that the scoreboard of your life, you will never have enough. You'll always be insecure. And um, But there's a real danger in that of uh, how many downloads you know a message gets or how many people attend on a Tuesday night for us, which is the porch. So I think those are constant things just to like keep a throttle on um, that for me, it looks like, man, I'm not even going to check, check uh, social media after teaching just because I don't want to ride the waves of highs and lows on stuff. I want to know that I went up there and tried to be faithful and was faithful or hopefully faithful. And, um, and so those would be a handful of them. Huh. No, that's good. Thanks, man. Um, what... I think I've heard you called the most undefend- unoffendable person on staff. <laughs> who said that, JP? I don't remember who said that. Uh, I think I heard it on a podcast or yeah, something. That's um, if there's truth to that, don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah. But, uh, how do you how do you do that in a generation where we're always called triggered, we're always called offen- uh, easily offended? Yeah. Uh, what yeah, do you do with that? Funny, how do you think that merits itself? Dude, I don't know, man. I think uh, I think everyone's too uptight. <laughs> <laughs> I think just. Um, I, I hope that that is true. Um, I think it, uh, I don't know why that has been easier. Like some of it, you know, some of our greatest strengths probably come from dysfunctional things that happened when we were, we were kids. Like, Mm -hmm. like, uh, I don't want to psychoanalyze too deep, but, um, I'm always like, man, I think that just comes natural. Maybe it's because I like put walls up emotionally when I was younger and I'm like, I don't care what anybody thinks. (laughs) And, um, so I think, I think not reading into what people say, believe the best. It's, which is not as it's easier for some people to do than others. But I think just fighting, I mean, it's a command that love always trusts or believes the best. And, um, and so I think if I'm going to love people, I have to always assume the best. I have to give them the benefit of the doubt. I want to, uh, not take things personally or seek to not take things personally. And, um, and just life is so much more fun that way. It's, it's a, when I'm consumed and worried about what you think or, what the what your people listening are gonna think? Um, it's just all I can be is insecure because I'm dependent on the approval of man and what people think about me. So I think uh, I'm trying to think of like practical tips because um, I feel like that has been not something that I do perfectly or, or all the time, anyways. But um, yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I think part of it's probably like not letting your identity be in anything that's other than God because then your identity is not at stake all the time. Yeah. So I think like. Uh, Buddy and I were just having a conversation last weekend about how people get so triggered with politics because they let politics become their identity. They're right wing, they're left wing, they're conservative, they're liberal. Um, So then when I start disagreeing, like we can't have a healthy dialogue because I disagree with your identity now. I don't disagree with just a belief in your life or some narrative that you're following. Now I'm, I'm putting your identity at stake and trumping you with what you think is my identity. 100%. Do you think there's some, there's some truth to that that maybe people are letting identities outside of their identity being found in Christ be their central, be their ultimate, be maybe even a good thing that God's given us, but they've made it their ultimate. hundred percent. Like never before this, there isn't an insanity thing happening with people around the, their first and firmest identity becomes their sexual orientation, their race, their, um, the way that they look, the country that they're from, the state they were born in. Like stuff that they have an allegiance to that's greater than Jesus. If you are red, yellow, black, or white, if you are a Christian, you your first and foremost identity is in Jesus. 
and you have a, I am closer to you if you are a Asian Christian or a Chinese person. Like we have more, um, there's an old statement, we have more in common than your, your sister who is a Buddhist. Like you and I are blood or you and I are kin in a way that you're not with your own family. And your first identity should always be seen from Jesus. There's an old statement that, um, that blood is thicker than water, but it's not thicker than the cross. Hmm. And so, man, uh, although, you know, by blood, I'm closer to you if we're in the same family group. Um, and that may be thicker than, you know, uh, whatever water would represent there, but it's not thicker than the cross that the bond of Jesus is greater than any other bond. So I, yeah, dude, I think it's, it's, it's really weird not to get us off on that tangent, but the identity thing is, um, has no place inside of the church where Paul says in Galatians three, there's neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor man nor woman. Everyone is united in one in Christ. And that should be the first and foremost identity. And, and candidly, what's hard is like, dude, as a straight white male, they're like, that's easy for you to say. Mm, yeah. And they just kind of, they lash at my identity. Yeah. And it's kind of like, Hey, I, I don't want to, my identity shouldn't be wrapped up in those things. Just like you shouldn't wrap it up. And uh, and something else, and so, anyways. Yeah, well, and that's a dangerous game too, because if, if everything's based on identity, then truth is only exists if your name's David and you're six foot tall. You're from Dallas, you know. That's like exactly. so, my truth being Quinn, who's six foot tall from Wyoming, totally is completely. It's truth becomes subjective, not objective, and yeah. then that's where we are today. Totally. Uh, <laughs> so I think too. I think one of the idols, one of the things that people put their identity in. I actually, I just recently heard, listened to you preach on this. It was one of your old messages. Mm. Um, but you're talking about margin and rest and how our generation just has no capacity for margin. Yeah. Uh, we basically, if we have time, we fill it. I'm as guilty of this as anyone. Yeah. Um, what's the importance of resting and what's the importance of actually having margin? I think um, I've heard it said that love is actually truly availability and that's why Jesus loved people so well is yeah. that he was always available to stop mm-hmm. if it was that's needed. Um, and so I think in my life, I've had times where I've built myself out so much that I don't have any margin that when I get the phone call, I can't drop what I'm doing because I'm overcommitted. Yeah. Um, what's the importance of our generation of, of having rest, of having margin of, um, I think that would feed and help the anxiety issue yeah. if people had more space to actually invest in their relationship with God and invest in community, invest in those things. Can you speak to that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, man. I think uh, I think the importance of rest, just like you said, is, is uh, it's huge. It's so important that God wove it into creation where he makes the lights go off, you know, every single day. And he, he commanded his people, you're going to rest every seven days. And, um, there's something about that, that I was thinking recently, we really have lost and how refreshing that must be. If you're an Orthodox Jew to shut off everything on Friday, you don't do email, you don't watch TV, you don't uh, get on your phone, you don't do anything, respond to people for 24 hours. You're just total every single week. Like that must be so refreshing and, um, and just so recharging. And, uh, and now because Jesus said he's Lord of the Sabbath, we're not underneath the law in the same way the the church has kind of lost that. Um, and yet there's still an importance, I think, when you read the Bible to build into your life, the right rhythms of man, this is kind of when I, I, I cut off from the world. This is when I'm taking a break. I'm not going to just, um, and breaking is not just Netflix or binging on, you know, the latest show, but it's really connecting with God and, um, being restful in the posture of just like my life and reflective on what God is doing. And, um, so I, I think in order for that to happen, you got to be really intentional and you got to build it in. And those seasons all look different. Like if you're a, um, 
know, we've joked before. If you're like a mom of triplets listening to this, your your Sabbath may just look like man listening to a worship song as you get up in the morning before you before you go head on three triplets or triplets, and uh, and so. But I, I just think thinking through like what is it going to look like for me to rest? How do I disconnect? I think the phone has made it less restful than ever, where I'm more connected. I'm constantly and and I'm not even resting when I'm stopping. So. Um, yeah, I think I think I too struggle with that. I don't know anyone who doesn't, honestly. Yeah. And um, so finding rhythms, figuring out I'm gonna intentionally pull away, and especially as you get a family, like here's what it's gonna look like for us. Here's how we're gonna rest. Here's what we're gonna do um, to build that into our life. So, hmm. yeah. Is it a? Uh, did Rick Warren say the little adage of what is it? Withdraw weekly. Yeah. Withdraw weekly, divert daily, abandon annually. Yes. I think I heard JP share it, and then I looked it up. Yeah. Um. Which is but so good. That's, that's so good. I just yeah. heard that a couple of weeks ago. I yeah, think. it's um, it's so good, and uh, and probably something that honestly I, I need to do a better job of, and uh, and yet some of that you can become legalistic about, because like I said, if if you are in that season where you have like three brand new babies, um, and uh, and that's got to be challenging. <laughs> you can't abandon them ba- annually. Yeah, you, know? <laughs> you can't abandon annually. You can't really withdraw weekly. Yeah. And uh, but. Um, it is incumbent to like live at a sustainable pace and figure out and not be a hero and not think that the world depends on me and, um, that I'm the only one who's moving the pieces around in my life. Like, God, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you and you can fill in the gap that I'm not, I'm not my own savior. And, um, so I'm going to, I'm going to pull back. And, uh, if I suffer for it and I don't, I work one less day than everybody else and I trust you Mm -hmm. and, uh, you change the hearts of bosses and you change the hearts of people um, their hearts are like streams of water in your hand. You direct them wherever they go. So I can I can pull back and I can trust you with the margin. And like you said, I can love people whenever there's margin built in. You love people in the margins of life. When there's margin financially, I can give um, to someone who's in need that I bump into. When there's margin in terms of time, I can pull over and I can help someone whose car just broke down. So, yeah. I think, too, I mean, God rested. He didn't need it, you know. Totally. And on the seventh so, day, so it's so interesting. It's um, so bizarre. Enough. It's so weird. Yeah, that he would set the example instead of just commanding it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk to as we kind of land the plane here, David, a little bit about. I'm kind of torn on the whole self help movement. Is that I definitely believe you got to invest in yourself a little bit to to invest in other people. You yeah. you can't give nothing. I think so many people are getting so caught up in the investment of self that they never actually end up investing in anyone else but themselves. And then they get so busy, uh, to use Matt Chandler's phrase, navel gazing, mm. that they can't, they never look back up yeah. to um, to reach out to people. And I'm, I mean, I, in my life and with my platform, try to promote service because I know my default is going to be self. Yeah. That I have to work to serve. I don't have to work to serve myself, yeah. right? Um, you guys finished a, I think it was this year you guys did the self care series. Yep. Um, what's the heart behind that? And kind of how do you guys invite people to like, yeah, you got to take care of yourself to a certain degree, but that's not really what we're called to, you know? Um, totally. Yeah. No. Um, you know, the one message we didn't do that was on the calendar and it was kind of like, Hey, tentatively we'll do this depending on how things go. and, And for some schedule reasons that would bore everybody, I won't go into, but we almost did a message that was like, Hey, the key to self care is, um, is to serve or to be selfless. Like you find your life when you lay it down, lose your life and you find it, Jesus says. So if you just focus on serving yourself or even on caring just for yourself, it ends up being like you're a constant 
in need of care for yourself because there isn't life that's found there. And, um, and narcissism, man, is a real deal, that a real disease that can lead to diseases, dangerous work because it can be misunderstood, but is something that will lead to like mental illness often is related to narcissism where I'm just constantly focused on myself. Uh, a lot of our anxiety is so self-related where I'm, I'm concerned about what, oh man, do they think that, I wonder what they thought about when I said that. And, um, and I need to break out of that box by serving others. Stop focusing on myself and seek to love other people. Stop worrying about like, man, I wonder if, if they're going to like me because it will inhibit me from actually loving them in the moment. And, uh, just so much of the, the things in our life that are dysfunctional can be related back to just an over-focus on yourself. So the heart behind that series was to just trace through a cultural term. What we'll do is every now and then when there's a term that's kind of on trend, we'll we'll grab it and try to redeem it and be like, biblically, here's what self-care looks like from a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. Self-care in our generation looks so much like just, hey, I'm going to do the things that I want underneath the banner of, hey, I'm caring for myself in order to be able to care for you. That's why I need to go see this movie right now. And um, And biblically, that's not what we're called to, but we are cared are we all called to uh, care for our bodies and steward the things that God has given us and to be mindful about rest and our time and um, to follow the example of Christ and care for our souls, which is what he said that he, he came as a part of what he's doing to make us have a lighter burden on our souls, that he would give us rest at a soul level. And so that was kind of the heart behind the series. A really fun series, had a really good response, like more than an unusual number of, of, uh, of people uh, seem to connect with that series for whatever reason. Hmm. So that's fun. Do you think I've heard, I think my church back home, I talked about this before on a podcast of, uh, they coined the, the word selfless ishness that like, if you're so, if it's almost selfish to be selfless, because if you're a Christian, you know, on the back end, what you're going to get for it kind of thing of like, man, I know this is going to bring joy and this is going to bring freedom. And so I'm really kind of being selfish by being selfless. Yeah, that's Um, funny. And if you can kind of wrap your, that's been helpful for me to wrap my mind around that. And, uh, selflessness, selfless ishness. So like selfishness, but selfless. Yeah, Um, that's good, man. But David, what are you learning right now? Like what's God teaching you in your quiet times? What's something, uh, I think we're all we're all kind of rough drafts of who we're trying to become, and God's yeah. always working in us. Yeah, uh, I think, um, and we've been going through a lot of transition recently on like our team, job, um, just kind of some new initiatives that we're we're doing as a ministry, and uh, and some of it has been like I've had like several people transition in a recent like three within the last two months. And, um, like close pillars do this for life. One of them being JP and, and, um, his was a a few months ago, but, um, I think the, um, the truths it's, it's nothing new. It's more just like, man, Hey, um, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Do I really believe that? Hmm. Am I really going to actually accept and believe that? And, um, that, uh, God is sovereign over all things. Jesus is enough. Do I really believe that? So I feel like a lot of the things that like I, I would believe, I've taught on, I would say, have just been in a new way, kind of pressed into my heart and mind of, uh, man, God, if this is what you have, if you're if you're moving these people out, if um, there's going to be different people coming in, if things are not going the way that I wanted them to go, um, am I going to choose to trust you? Are you really enough? And um, And if, you know, life falls apart, if a ministry falls apart, if things don't go the way that I want them to go, am I going to let my identity be found in that? 
am uh, is Jesus really enough? And um, so I think that's been the thing that, as much as anything, he's been kind of pressing hmm. into my heart and mind yeah. in a, in a new way that this has been live processing. Um, and uh, I'm in the middle of Exodus right now to join the journey, and uh, are coming up on the end, and um, and so just seeing God's faithfulness as He leads His people and the provision that He does and giving them the law, and so that's been kind of the the uh, the biblical studying and and walking through. But I think as much as anything, it's it's been that truth of God in mind. Are you, are you enough? Am I going to believe and accept and trust? Man, Jesus is enough. And, um, so I'd say that's been like the most real, fresh, raw thing. Hmm. And, um, so yeah. Awesome, man. Well, David, where can people find you if they want to, I know you're not, I follow you on Instagram, but yeah. you, you post like once a year. <laughs> um. <laughs> so true. I know. I, and I usually just steal my wife's. She'll post it. I'm like, I'm going to post that too. That's a great oh, post. Man. I need to post more, man. I need to, I need to figure that out. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, David J. Marvin, or on, on Twitter. I think it's the same thing. Um, you can follow The Porch, which is a better probably thing to follow. Ultimately, follow Jesus with your life would be the best <laughs> thing you should do. And uh, if you uh, go to theporch.live, you can check out all of our content, all of our messages. We're doing a conference called the Awaken Conference Memorial Day weekend here in Dallas. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be an amazing weekend uh, with a bunch of friends coming in and speakers and music artists from all over the country, uh, unlike any lineup we've ever really put together. So really excited, some of which we can share, some of which we can't. And um, But all that to say, if you go to awaken.live, you can sign up. You can be a part of that weekend. And if you use the promo code AWAKENFRIEND, AWAKENFRIEND, I think you'll get even $50 off from that. So check that out. But um, but yeah, man, that's it. It's fun to get to be with you, dude. It's hey, awesome. Appreciate it, David. Thank you, man. Awesome. Man, I hope that blessed you guys. If you're going to be anywhere even close to the Dallas area on Memorial Day weekend, I could not recommend highly enough going to the Awaken Conference. The time that I've spent in Watermark Church with the community and with the people that are going to be there, man, it will truly change you. And I'm not just saying that. It has impacted my life in a way that I never thought possible. Take full advantage of that promo code, man, and go. I can't encourage you enough to go. But hey, guys, we hope that known is a blessing to you. We hope that you've taken advantage of some of the content that we've given you and that you're implementing it into your life, not just becoming spiritually obese and just eating and eating and eating, man. Go do. Go live. Go let your faith be manifested in action. We love you guys. We're so thankful for you. Go try some Cody Coffee, promo code known. We love those guys. We love you guys. Have an amazing week. If there's anything we can do for you, email in. We're always here. DM us. We're happy to help, happy to pray, happy to do what we can. Love you guys. So thankful for you. Intersection by DJ Quads. Check him out on YouTube. That's G J Q U A D S.